A hundred years ago, elevators changed the way we work and live. With taller buildings, the very shape of cities changed into what we now unconsciously recognize as a cityscape. This was the result of the introduction of convenient, one-dimensional travel. Self-driving cars offer the freedom of convenient travel in two dimensions. To say that this will be a paradigm shift is a bit of an understatement. While truck driver stands as among the most common jobs in the U.S., Anheuser-Busch made its first autonomous delivery of a truckload of beer back in 2016 with the help of a human to get on and off the highway. In 2017, the first end-to-end autonomous delivery was made by a company hauling refrigerators in California. This year, a Google spin-off company announced that it will start hauling freight to Google data centers in Atlanta, Atlanta being one of the logistics hubs in the U.S., Business models must change. Take airports, for example. The Airports Council International reported that airports make around 40% of their income from parking. If travelers' cars drive themselves home, the airport is left with an empty lot and nothing to pay for maintenance. Thank you, Siri. (laughs) On top of that, Without the cost of hiring a driver or the stress of driving, longer car trips may get more attractive than planes. Traffic tickets likely bring in billions to local governments and billions more to insurance companies, which can charge more to insure those with with traffic tickets. Cars that unerringly follow the letter of the law could decimate this income or in fractions may get very expensive. Money isn't going to be the only change. In the U.S., about as many people died in car crashes the last few years as died from gun violence, and that's including gun-related suicides. A shift which greatly decreases car crashes would certainly be welcome. What is enabling this shift is machine learning, a subset of artificial intelligence. Where AI can include any written instructions for a computer to mimic human intelligence, Machine learning is used to allow the computer to learn from experience, improving the algorithm as it goes. Computers are fast enough now and enough data is available now that the machine can be given a task and a set of sample data, and the machine itself can work out how to best accomplish the task. As time goes on, more data is fed back to the machine, and the process continues to improve the algorithm. Machine learning isn't a new concept. It's being used every day, all around us, helping suggest goods and services for us, managing traffic flows, helping law enforcement, medical, and banking professionals do their jobs, and much, much more. So what does any of this have to do with Unitarianism? Or with us as individuals, other than simply as consumers and people living in this environment? It would seem that handing off some decisions to a tool that is free from the influence of emotions and the inherent bias present in humans is a step towards justice. One saying I learned in middle school when I was introduced to calculators is this, the numbers don't lie. 
But one thing about these algorithms is that they require training data. We humans act as though we are objective arbiters on what is considered a success or a failure as we feed this training data to the machine. Sometimes we provide data without even being aware of it. The songs for today's service, for example, are our three most frequently used songs in this church for the past seven years. Is this objectively who we are? Does this encompass all that we strive to be? All human provided data, like all humans, are imperfect. Some data can be useless or even detrimental. Another saying I learned about the same time puts it more bluntly, garbage in, garbage out. In some cases, this garbage is obvious and is maliciously fed to the machine. Coca-Cola suspended an ad campaign that involved a Twitter bot which sent out automated responses. Humans had fed it enough garbage that it ended up tweeting out quotes of Hitler's Mein Kampf. In most cases, though, the garbage is much more subtle and harder to detect. Every time you tag someone on your favorite social media page, every time you indicate whether a recommendation was helpful on your favorite shopping site or video streaming service, every time you prove you're human by selecting all the pictures that contain road signs, you are helping train a machine to learn to make better, better decisions. This can help make life easier for us. For example, as advertisements and suggestions are tailored to our interests. However, because this data comes from us, humans, we can lend our bias to the sample data. But because of the perceived objectivity of the computer, we sometimes accept the computer's outcome without question. One example of a more impactful situation is that machine learning software is used across the country to help with sentencing and bail decisions. The software predicts recidivism, how likely a defendant is to commit another crime in the future. This software has been called into question over the last few years because studies began to show that it tends to predict that black people are more likely to be incarcerated again in the future when compared with white people where all else is equal. Arrests are made by humans. So the software is basing its recommendations on training data supplied by humans. Inherent bias in the training data can influence the result of the algorithm. The algorithm itself in this case is proprietary, not open to inspection by outside entities. But back to self-driving cars. These vehicles and the algorithms that drive them will need to be tested. Last month, UC Berkeley released the largest ever open source autonomous driving data set, which will kick off new capabilities as researchers get a chance to dig through the data. One factor they will consider is the environment in which the data originated. In poorer neighborhoods, signage may be less well-maintained than in more affluent neighborhoods. Signs can be covered up by plants or graffiti. The same areas are also likely to be overlooked by crowdsourced mapping efforts. 
Will self-driving cars perform as well or as safely in these environments? Do we still accept the computer's outcome as just? Diversity of test subjects will be important as well. Here's an aviation example. Before I was born, the Air Force and Navy decided that female voices were the best to issue warnings to the cockpit. It was apparently thought that these voices would cut through the chatter and be easier for pilots to hear and understand. Also before I was born, women were not allowed to be military pilots. Is it just if women pilots were not considered when designing safety systems? How about all the people whose safety depends on that pilot? Who happens to be a woman? As time went on, more research was done to determine what was understandable to pilots regardless of gender. And today, in many modern airliners and fighter jets, oral alarms are actually now male voices. The transition from all manual to all automatic driving will be difficult. Earlier this year, an autonomous vehicle collided with a pedestrian in Arizona, resulting in what seems to be the first pedestrian fatality involving an autonomous car. The NTSB investigation is still ongoing, but it appears that the vehicle sensors detected an object, and the vehicle is equipped with the ability to perform emergency maneuvers, like braking but the vehicle was designed to rely on an attentive human to perform emergency maneuvers when it is not operating in manual mode. In other words, this vehicle was designed to assist the human, not replace the human. What will happen when there is not a human behind the wheel to blame? When given the same scenario, the same set of inputs, the algorithm would have decided to hit the pedestrian, or neglected to avoid hitting her every single time? How will we enforce ethical decision-making by computer-controlled equipment? This isn't an easy question to answer. And we can't expect an autonomous vehicle to slam on the brakes for everything it perceives in front of it. As another aviation example, it's kind of my thing, I used to be a control tower operator. I once canceled a takeoff clearance for a C-130 because I saw something that I thought was a large bird fly across the runway in front of it. It turned out to be a shopping bag that had gotten caught in the breeze. Now that was an easy decision for me to make in the sterile environment of an airport runway, but on a highway, other vehicles will be traveling behind the first and at similar speeds and may not react well to emergency braking. At the moment, it can be difficult to distinguish between an empty bag and something much more dangerous. At the moment, we're deciding to let the human decide what to do. Detecting and identifying objects isn't easy. But if it is easier to recognize certain people or people wearing certain clothes to avoid colliding with them, do we still accept the computer's outcome as just? Even if we specifically prohibit the use of ethnicity or other demographic features, when the machines are allowed to learn a task, they can still exhibit differences along racial lines or lines linked to other protected classes. 
An interesting example of this is Niantic Labs. Several years ago, they made an app called Field Trip. It was a guide to points of interest like public buildings or landmarks near your current location. The app would notify you when you were near a point of interest that you hadn't yet visited. A little while later, they made Ingress. This was a location-based game that is a variation on Capture the Flag, where the flags happen to be points of interest near your current location. Users could submit new points of interest in the game. I submitted a few myself as motivation to go out for a run around town. These points of interest also ended up in their field trip app. This concept is called crowdsourcing and is basically relying on the public to fill in the blanks for you. Personally, I think this was a brilliant implementation to get people out and about and interested in their local area. It worked for me. As technology advanced, Niantic released a new game called Pokemon Go. This one swept the nation. Not long after its release, some people began to notice that there weren't many points of interest, now called Pokestops and gyms, in predominantly black neighborhoods. I don't believe this was in any way malicious. It was just that the same points of interest were now being used to populate this latest game. But because these points were crowdsourced, they were created by a self-selected population. This population was affluent enough to have a cell phone with a data plan and free time to wander around and was a population that felt comfortable lingering around public buildings and local landmarks, sometimes at odd hours of the night. Field Trip and Ingress had relatively small audiences, but with Pokemon Go downloads topping 650 million last year, that's twice the US population. It began to draw attention that this data set exhibited a bias. These traits happened to line up with other demographics like income and race. Even though those demographics were not explicitly prohibited from contributing, the result appeared split along class and racial lines. That software I mentioned earlier that's used for sentencing, it makes its recommendations based on the defendant's responses to a questionnaire. Race is not explicitly asked on the questionnaire, but it can be inferred from the available responses. Proxy bias is common, and it's not a simple matter to eliminate all factors that line up with a protected class, but still have enough information to make effective decisions. Take the example of deciding whether or not to issue a bank loan. The bank has lots of data at its disposal. If gender is excluded because it's a protected class, but the data set includes first names, an algorithm could use those first names of individuals as a proxy for gender. If the data set omits race because it is protected, but it includes things like zip code or commute distance, ethnicity can be inferred and used by the algorithm for decision making. Now imagine if this company also has access to cell phone location data, say from any company which makes an app 
which asks for and receives your permission to access your phone's current location. Say you just installed the app and just ex accepted whatever permissions it asked for. The location that is sold may be anonymized, meaning they strip off your personal details like email, phone number, name, and just provide a generic ID number attached to your locations. But that location data can be de-anonymized using your own provided location history. For example, on your favorite social media page, when you check in to various restaurants, or as you take and post vacation photographs, which happen to be geotagged and timestamped, or as you use a promotional card at your favorite grocery store. Now this imaginary company, or at least the algorithm which is making its decisions, knows that you come to this building every week. Well, most weeks. <laughs> your religion is a protected class. Your location is not. A study five years ago found that it took four of these unique known location points to identify a single person from an anonymized location data set of over a million tracks. Four years ago, the New York City taxi location data was de-anonymized to reveal which celebrities tipped their taxi drivers and which frequented local strip clubs. How do we make sure that this data is being used in an ethical way? Last year, the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration released its vision for automated driving systems. It referred to ethical considerations once in a footnote, which leads to this statement on their website. Ethical considerations are essential to automated driving technology development. However, currently, there is no consensus around acceptable ethical decision-making given the depth of the element is not yet understood, nor are there metrics to evaluate against. They go on to say how they plan to work with stakeholders to look at how to build a framework for addressing ethical concerns and promoting transparent decision-making by these vehicles. Transparency, understanding the decision-making process, and what it is, will be an important piece of the puzzle. A study published in Nature last year presented a cancer-detecting algorithm that was trained on pictures of cancerous and non-cancerous lesions. Researchers discovered that an early iteration of this algorithm had picked up on the fact that rulers were often used for scale on pictures of cancer. What we called cancer, it saw as a lesion with a ruler and effectively turned itself into a ruler detector. <laughs> Knowing how algorithms make the decisions they do will be important to understanding and mitigating bias introduced by human-selected data. There are organizations out there that are promoting transparency and the ethical use of data and machine learning. Some examples are the Algorithmic Justice League, which highlights algorithmic bias through media, art, and science, the Fairness, Accountability, and Transparency in Machine Learning Conference is a conference to bring together researchers and practitioners concerned with fairness, accountability, and transparency in machine learning. And datajustice.org, which was launched as a project to promote public education and new alliances to challenge the danger of big data to workers, consumers, and the public. 
awareness of the issues is certainly a step forward. One way to enforce ethical behavior through awareness is to legislate it. In the European Union, the General Data Protection Regulation was put forward to protect people by requiring companies to tell people how their data is being handled and used. The UK, soon to leave the EU, recently wrote this into their own law as the UK Data Protection Act. You probably saw the effects of this a couple months ago when websites and apps all gave you notices saying our privacy policy has been updated and required you to acknowledge it. Here in the US, the report from the White House Summit on AI for American Industry two months ago makes no mention of discrimination, fairness, civil rights, ethics, or bias, and makes one passing mention of privacy. The report announces the establishment of the Select Committee on Artificial Intelligence to coordinate science and technology policies across the executive branch. The committee is to be co-chaired by the Office of Science and Technology Policy, an office established by Congress to provide the executive office with advice on scientific engineering and technological topics, and an office which has been without a director since last year, the longest such vacancy for the post since its establishment in 1976. And as a fun side note, when the three representatives signed and dated the charter document for this new committee on coordination, all three co-chairs used a different date format. Coordination doesn't seem to be off to a great start. But what I'd like to leave all of us with is that our principles apply to AI and machine learning just as much as they do to any other aspect of our lives. It's important to recognize as we interact with machine learning systems in our daily life. Every person has inherent worth and we can't let groups of people fall through the cracks for the sake of simplified decision-making. We must ensure that people are being treated justly and equitably. We must challenge ourselves to keep automated systems accepting of all people and not perpetuate stereotypes and bias. The search for truth will be never ending. And through the democratic process, we must take an active role and demand ethical use of data and algorithms as we strive for peace, liberty, and justice for all. We must understand that we are a part of the data that is being used to train systems that affect us and those around us. We must be aware of and respect that connection, not fear it, so that we can move forward. Blessed be.